0: Lord, Lord. 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 leading out the people of this country, yes. Yes. oh, Lord. Come on now, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Ah, uh, be a, be a fence, be a fence all, all around me. Every day, come on now, my Lord, my Lord. I wanted to sit there and just keep on in that praise and worship setting, but there's some wood that need to be chopped. Kindling need to be set on fire. Today's my day to do it. So I came today to celebrate the good news with you. Let you know that he lives. He is yet alive and still blessing us. I hope you understand what that means in your life. If you've been struggling with being in charge, then you can give that duty over to somebody else. If you haven't already seen fit to do it, today is the day that you can put a new manager in charge of your life. His name is Jesus. Make no mistake about it, it's not the man standing or woman standing in that pulpit. It's Jesus Christ. It's the one in whose name we stand. He is in charge. So glad to be with you today. So thankful to God, to all that's been said already. Mm -hmm. Thank Anthony for his passion. Glad to see Generation Next excited about moving us forward. His words should ring true in your ear. Before I step into this word, I need to say a couple of things. First of all, I want to thank the entire congregation that participated last week in the appreciation parade for men for caring. Thank God for that, it was awesome. Thank you for all the cards and gifts and tokens of your appreciation. I don't ever want you to think that I take it for granted that you care enough to do that. And I can tell you for sure, you don't have to put anything in a card for me to know you love me. That's not necessary. If you just pray for me, then I'd be a better pastor. You just pray for me, and I guarantee you we'll have a closer relationship. Uh, You can't be mad at somebody you're praying for. Not really. Not really. So I ask you to continue to pray for us, and thank you so much. We're still living on that goodness that you gave us last week, still celebrating that. And I know last month, last week wasn't the only time. Throughout the month of October, you've been so good to us, just at various intervals, and so thank you. Thank you for that. I want you to celebrate with me today as I thank God for his goodness for our uncle, Larry Holman, as he celebrates today 28 years of pastor at Mount Joy Baptist Church. Celebrate with him. Celebrate with him. He went up there for a job and God gave him a ministry. and He's been faithful to that church for 28 years. And we ask you to continue to pray pray for him and Mount Joy Baptist Church. Tuesday, I'm going to end an abusive relationship. I'm filing some papers to end an abusive relationship. There's a man who's been in charge of our country who's been abusing me. And I'm filing papers Tuesday morning to get rid of him. Yeah, I'm filing it. I'm making sure I'm standing in line as soon as the polls open so I can get rid of him. He's got to go. He hadn't treated my family right, nor has he treated me right. He hadn't been good to my future. No, nor has he respected my past and my heritage. He's got to go. He doesn't understand me, nor has he tried to understand me. He's endangered my life by not taking things serious that should be taken serious. He's exposed me to all sorts of germs and problems and hasn't cared about it. While he lives in the lap of luxury, he doesn't care that me and my friends don't. He's got to go. He's got to go. So I'm going to file those papers on Tuesday morning. If you don't understand what I'm saying, I have the power to change our relationship by simply voting. I'm gonna put my ex in the box so that he understands I don't support what he's done the last four years, nor can I tolerate four more years of him being in charge of my life. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's my prayer that millions of other people feel the same way I do. I feel it, I feel the groundswell of support rising to get rid of this person, but it won't happen if you think everybody else is gonna do it. It won't happen if you think that it doesn't make a difference. Let me tell you this, if you don't vote, you don't care. If you don't vote, don't complain. If you don't vote, we can't see the change we want. And I tell you this contrary to some folks I'm voting for Joe Biden I'm telling you that right now I'm voting for Kamala Harris. I'm voting for them. I'm not voting against, just against Trump. I'm voting for somebody who's voting for me. I ain't trying to be politically correct on this. I'm telling you what Andre is going to do. I'm voting for promise, for hope, for possibility, for right thinking. I'm I'm voting for a future for my grandbabies. I'm voting for all that. Tuesday. Tuesday. Now, there's a whole lot that's driven me to this point. And I won't, I won't dare try to stop and say all those things, but just know this, I'll be there. Will I meet you at the pole? Will you be there? Don't lay in the shadows and then wake up and realize that the shadow monsters are real. Don't do that. And particularly, I'm going to vote for Joe, but there's some folk around here that I care about I'm voting for, too. And I don't, I'm not going to tell you, as Anthony said, who to go vote for. But I'm telling you, I'm voting for Charles Winston here in Jefferson County. Why? Because I trust his character, and I know he's my friend. He served the citizens of this county well in the best Bessemer Cutoff, and I trust that he'll do it again if you got to select somebody to be your county tax assessor down there put your money in charles's hand he'll be all right and do a good job and a whole lot of folk i'm not going to tell you to punch the straight ticket i'm not going to insult you like that There may be folk on there you you like and some you don't like but i'm good with i'm good with voting for those friends whose name i call a lot of people on there keisha davis is one of them I'm voting for her. I trust her to be on the bench making decisions for people. Keisha is good people. Yeah, I work with her every day. I'm confident in what she can do. Study it. Study all of the ballot before you get in there. Those constitutional amendments, they need your attention as well. Yeah. Absolutely absolutely vote for every single one of them all right you heard me you heard my part yeah there was never a point in time let me square this away that the church and the state were separate no 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 in order for the state to be right you need folk from the church in it so there was never any true separation of church and state and the pulpit has always been the place but we have encouraged activities that are positive to our community and discouraged activities. We've always been involved in it. Today is no different. I urge you to get to the poll. Don't let anything stop you from getting there. If you need a ride, pick up the phone and call somebody to get to the poll, but don't let closing time at the poll find you having not exercised your right to make good trouble for them folk in office that are not doing right. Amen, amen, amen today. Today starts our annual month with our emphasis on stewardship. Stewardship, it's it's November. And each month we have a a different theme here at 45th Street Baptist Church. Each month we concentrate on something that we believe will make you a better believer a stronger Christian, someone who understands their purpose and their pathway in this life. So this month we're going to concentrate on our responsibilities in this world. Am I a good steward? Most of the time when we talk about stewardship, the emphasis lies on money. And i tried for a long time to explain to this congregation that stewardship is multifaceted, like a diamond, not always about money. This year, it's different. This year, it is about money. This year, we need to talk about finances, money. Last year, if you'll remember, we talked about mental health, and we had visitors to come last year to talk to us. Seems strange that it's been a year already. We could have done that again this year and would have been very appropriate for us to do it because a lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are struggling in here, not just in this congregation, but outside of this congregation, in the community, people are struggling emotionally. But people are also struggling financially. And so I started wondering, whoever told us how to manage our money? Who as you were growing sat you down? and taught you how to deal deal with the money that God allows to come into your hand? Who taught you to be responsible for that? Is it just something you picked up? Are you just stingy by nature? (laughs) Do you learn how to just hold on to a dime because you didn't want to? And and is it always appropriate to be stingy? Are are there times that you ought to let something flow? Are you afraid? to let it flow? Are you afraid to share with other people what God has blessed you with? What is your relationship with money? Is it a love-hate relationship? You love to make it and hate to spend it? What is your relationship? Are you holding on to a piece of the first dollar you ever made? What is your relationship? Have you been planning for a future? when your ability to produce income through work has been greatly diminished. That's important to some of us as we quickly approach those times in our lives when we can not work like we used to. Work just doesn't have the appeal that it used to. Or perhaps you had an entrepreneurial spirit all your life, wanting to strike out on your own, loose yourself from the moorings of traditional work and so that you bear all the responsibilities yourself. It's a great thing to own your own business. It's a terrible thing to own your own business. It's a frightening thing to own your own business when every single bill that other folk are responsible for, you gotta be responsible for it. If you got health insurance, that's because you bought health insurance. If you got life insurance and other benefits, that's because you bought life insurance. That's entrepreneurial spirit. That's owning your own business. It's good to be able to get up and go in when you want to and go how you want to. It's hard just being able to go in when you want to and how you want to. Who taught you how to deal with your money? So today, just for a thought, I wanna reason from this central theme, what am I supposed to do with my money? What am I supposed to do with my money as a foundational scripture, because I want to introduce you to today what I think is a healthy, healthier relationship with treasure. If you haven't had one, then perhaps you'll leave this message understanding a little bit more about how to deal with with money. Foundationally, it comes from a familiar passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians. Paul taught us how to deal with money. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 6. And really, we'll flow through in our conversation to verse 15, but we'll hit the highlights six through eight. Let me read it in your hearing, and I'm reading today from the New Living Version of the Bible. Remember, the man who plants only a few seeds will not have much grain to gather. The man who plants many seeds will have much grain to gather. Each man should give as he has decided in his heart. He should not give wishing he could keep it. Or he should not give if he feels he has to give. God loves a man who gives because he wants to give. God can give you all you need. He will give you more than enough. You will have everything you need for yourselves and you will have enough left over to give when there is need. Now I know those passages passages of Scripture are familiar to you. You're used to hearing it in the King James version of the Bible, which reads just a little bit different. You're used to hearing, but I say unto you, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Some of us have been hearing that scripture in the King James Version primarily all our lives and never understood what it meant. Which is why you ought to have a Bible you understand that makes sense to you, that can break it down in ways that you hear. So who taught you how to deal with the finances that come your way? the money you earn or how to earn it, who taught you how to use it from a spiritual sense. Even if somebody gave you a little bank when you were younger and taught you how to put something in it and save it and gave you some allowance or allowed you to earn something when you were younger and allowed you to be able to spend it on things that you want. Maybe you were not in that situation. Maybe if you earned something, it had to go to help the greater household. Some people have had to live through that all their lives and you found it difficult to pinch off anything for yourself. It may be that you grew up with absolutely no awareness of money. Never had any and the first time you got a job really didn't know what to do with it. Are you honest enough today to admit that no one has ever formally taught you how to deal with money? Nobody thought it was important enough to sit you down or over some period of time instruct you on how to deal with money? Are you even more so honest enough to admit that you never taught your children how to deal with it? Yeah, I'll admit that I've been slack in teaching my children. I'm so glad that they got more sense about money than I do. I'm so glad that they've learned more about money than I have. I'm so thankful that they do better with money than I do. And I can tell you, It's only by the grace of God that they're stronger than I am in that respect. The smartest man who ever lived is reported to have been Solomon. And Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs 3 and 9, that we ought to honor the Lord with our wealth and with the best part of everything we produce. So much in that verse to unpack. So not only with the coins and jewels that come into our possession should we honor God, but he said with the best part of everything, that means the best part of my mind, the best part of my time, the best part of my love, ought to, be get, ought to be given to the Lord. That's what he requires of me. But Paul also reports that there are some other things we ought to do other than this Corinthians verse. He writes to his protege and he writes, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. No, the OJs didn't make that song, didn't write that, Paul did. Some of y'all been wrong on that for a long time. They sang it, but they didn't write it. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, watch this, craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many arrows. For the love of money, you know the song, you know all the evil that can come from the song. It's true, but it was true a long time before any O.J. sang on the stage. So I want us to look at the elements of giving in this 2 Corinthians passage that Paul wrote. Remember now, Paul came from a family of wealth. Paul was able to go to the finest schools. Paul sat at the feet of the most honored teacher in the land. And Paul was able to get a different perspective of money than you and I had. He was not poor until he started serving the Lord. <laughs> Watch this now. Not until he started leaving to venture off from Damascus Road, that he walked away from the bounty of his upbringing and had to learn how to live based on his relationship with the Lord. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. A life in Christ does not necessarily mean a life of material wealth. And so it's important that we understand how to deal with the finances that we get. Genuine stewardship is like a real good dessert. Oh yeah, in order for that dessert to be right, You have to take the right ingredients and mix them in the right way in order to get the correct result. Too much of anything creates an imbalance, and you do not end up with the dessert you want. It's okay to have, you gotta have sugar in most cakes, but too much sugar can mess it up. In fact, people seem amazed that you have to put salt in some cakes. But you put too much salt in that dessert and it messes things up. Stewardship is not one thing, but several things which work together. Let's talk about them. Stewardship is an expression of your choices. the first thing I want you to know. Stewardship is an expression of your choices. You know it and I know it. What people spend their money on is a clear indication of who they are. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you can tell a lot by what folks spend money on. You can tell what their priorities are. You can tell how they spend the money. The choice is for us to make, what kind of steward do we want to be, a good one or a poor one? Everybody in here has remarked. Maybe to themselves, perhaps you had the indecency to say it out loud when you saw someone dressed in an outfit that you thought they spent too much money on. Because we were remarking on their choices. perhaps they bought something that is ostentatious, and you remarked, I'm sure they spent too much money on that. The point is, They spent according to their choices. And their purchases revealed who their choices and what their choices are. So you got a choice when it comes to stewardship. God is giving you the power to shake down, get out of him what he wants. It seems people think that. But that's usually not how it works. People think that simply because they plead and beg, God's going to drop it down on them. Now, you know and I know that if that were the case, a whole lot of foolish people would have a whole lot of stuff they didn't know what to do with. Yeah, what he's done, however, is given us the privilege to make decisions that directly affect our financial lives. And based on your stewardship of those things, God allows you to continue participating in your continued growth, but it's based on what you have. Watch this, watch this. Let's walk through verse six real quick. It says, remember the man who plants only a few seeds will, only, will, will have much grain to gather. The man who plants many seeds will have, I'm sorry, let me read that right. The man who plants only a few seeds will not have much grain to gather, and the man who plants many seeds will have much grain to gather. So if you plant a little, you get a little. If you plant a lot, then you can get a lot. Watch this now. We only reap what has been sown. We only reap what has been sown. We reap the same in kind as we sow. And we reap in a different season than we sow it in. One of the problems we have today is many people want to sow right now and get it right now. No investment, no time, no patience. We also reap more than we sow. That's the law that's been given to us by the, the law of reaping and sowing, that you will reap more than you sow. Any farmer will tell you that if I put a seed in, it's going to give me back more than a seed. And that's why I supported that we plant it properly. Not only that, we reap in proportion to what we sow. Yeah, yeah, in proportion to what we sow. Little gets little, lot gets gets a lot. We also will reap the full harvest of the good only if you persevere. Nobody ever told you perhaps that there is patience in your sowing, necessarily. When I put it into the ground, we'll use the ground as a metaphor, I gotta wait to see what comes out of it. Can I tell you that applies in most good things in life. Nobody walks out of a college having had seed planted in them for a four or five year period and immediately reaps the benefit of the seed sown. It's not until that seed seed has an opportunity to germinate, It's not until that seed is planted in the right environment. It's not until that seed that's been planted in you is given the right sunlight that you can get the right harvest from it. That may happen four or five years down the road. Because of the seeds planted at X university, you now have opportunity to bloom in this environment. But people don't understand that perseverance is a part of seed sowing. Another part of it is, and let me say this, not going to a place to have seed planted also has its own rewards. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There is a period of time when it's appropriate to sow and there's a period of time when it's appropriate to reap. Failure to sow means you should not expect a harvest. Some people expect harvest when they have not spent the proper time sowing. You also can't do anything about last year's harvest. But you can work favorably toward this year's harvest. So there's no need lamenting what should have been or could have been. Work on what is right now. The list of the harvest, look at number four we reap in proportion to what we sow. That's this, 2 Corinthians 9 and 6 says this, but I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly, but he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. The more you sow, the more you reap. The more seed you plant, the greater your harvest. Paul isn't talking about agriculture here now. Hear me, I hope you understand what I'm saying. He's not talking about agriculture, he's talking about finances. He's talking about money. God leaves how much we plant up to us. Come on. He doesn't tell us how much to plant. He doesn't. But he promises to bless what we do plant. So the choice, underline that word, of what to plant is yours. If you choose to plant little, expect little. And if you choose to have faith to move on and plant more, then there's an expectation that all of that will be blessed as well. So stewardship is certainly an expression of how we make our choices. The second thing you need to know is that stewardship is an expression of our heart health, not our wealth. Stewardship is an expression of our heart's health and not our wealth. Some people are gonna be upset at me when I say this, but some of us base our stewardship on the abundance that God has given us. It's not even a heart action. It's a financial transaction. Some people are able to give abundantly because they've received a lot. They're not necessarily considering the recipients of the gift. They simply have a lot to give. It doesn't hurt them. They don't miss it. It's just part of, it's like paying a light bill, a water bill. It's just a transaction that they make. There is a problem with that way of thinking. Watch this. There's nothing wrong with them giving, and they certainly appreciate it. And I'm not talking about how the gift is used once received. I'm talking about your heart when you give it. This is important. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7 begins, every man. Every man. Of course, we know that's gender neutral because of how the Bible was written. Women is implied. Every person, let's say that. The appeal is for not just every person specifically, though. Can I tell you why in that? It's for every believer. All right? Every Christian is directed in this verse. One of the amazing things today is that not every Christian behaves like one in every area. Oh, yeah. We don't walk lockstep together. We try to design it ourselves. But there are some things that everybody who calls themselves a child of God ought to participate in, ought to be a part of. You can't exclude those things from your walk if you are in Christ. For example, every Christian ought to attend regular worship services. Every Christian ought to attend that. Now, we've learned in 2020 that how attending looks, changes, but it does not exclude the fact that you ought to be in a worship setting of some type. You can't continuously say that you're a part of the body of Christ if you're always out there by yourself. You need to have other believers in order to grow. Every Christian ought to have a relationship with his or her Bible and ought to be able to read it, understand it, and mature in the Word of God. That's how you grow. That's your rule book for living the Christian life. Every believer ought to pray every day. Every day, you ought to be in, prayer. I'm not saying you got to walk in a room that you call your prayer closet and get on your knees at a certain time of the day, but there shouldn't be a portion of the day that you don't set aside for prayer communication between you and the Lord. Every Christian ought to be able and willing to witness their faith in the Lord. You ought to be willing to talk about God and what he's done in your life. There shouldn't be circles in your life when you are ashamed to talk about that you are a child of God, and you ought to be willing to have that conversation at any time. And if challenged, why you ought to be able to give a defense as to why you believe what you believe. And then lastly, every Christian ought to give. Oh yeah, every Christian ought to give. Now, you, you you probably heard people say this, Lord, bless those who can give and those who cannot. Bless those, think about that. Lord, please bless those who can give and those who cannot. That might sound good, but it is not scriptural. Everybody can give. You heard people pray. What they're trying to say is folk with jobs and folk without jobs or folk with income. But the truth of the matter is, whether you are employed, that has no bearing on whether you can give. Everybody ought to be able to give. They might be able to give in a different proportion. It might not be money that they can give, but you can give. Every man that is a Christian should know how and and nurture They're giving life. And so let me ask this question. Does your giving reflect that you are a Christian? Does the church know by your giving that you're a Christian? Only you can answer that. As we walk down through the scripture, we see that every man is to give according as he purposes. There's that idea idea of choice again, as he purposes. You might be thinking, what if I don't want to give? That's a choice. That is a choice. But if you don't want to give, you ought to pray for a new want to. You ought to ask the Lord to bless you in such a way. Because if you are believing in Christ Jesus and you believe in the things that touched him and that guided him, you can't walk outside your front door and not see somebody in need. You can't walk outside and see something in life that needs to be changed. And in order for those things to have the change in this world, somebody, somebody's got to give. Now, maybe you think it's just the fat cats with money that they can't even count. They're supposed to give all the time. But God didn't make it that way. God made it so that any man could receive his blessing. And because he allows any man to receive his blessing, he expects that any man ought to be a blessing. It's not a a one-way street, it's not a one-way street. If you decide that you don't want to give, can I tell you, you're not hurting God. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need anything you have. What happens when you decide you don't want to give to God? You only impoverish yourself. You only tell God that the things that are important to him are not important to you. And so you're walking on different pathways than him. He can't bless you if you're not trying to be a blessing. Every man as he purposes in his heart, all right? Now, if you follow the scripture as this progresses, every person who is a Christian ought to choose to consecrate his gift to God, no matter what it is. No matter how you help folk, you ought to say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever you put in a basket somewhere, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, please bless what I have so that it can do more than I could expect it to do. Consecrate this now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. In other words, I may only have a dollar, but you can make it do $10 worth of work if you consecrate it. God's not only interested in what's in your hand, he's especially interested in what's in your heart. Not the amount, it's also the attitude. So let him give, so let him give. I've asked the Lord to bless it, I've given it to the Lord consecrated, and every Christian to choose to have that consecrated gift Evidence his commitment to giving. Once the heart and the mind join in arriving at a certain amount, whatever that is, nobody's looking over your shoulder to see what it is, then the hands have to take hold of the money as an offering and physically give it to God. God's not going to do an automatic draft out of your account. He can, however, shut down the bank and all your money in it. Oh yeah, many have placed stock in the banker and forgot to thank the Lord. There have been times in this country when one day a man was a millionaire and the next day that money was worthless. Many times God has had to go in and show who's truly in control. Some of y'all know how important it is these days. Some of y'all have been invested heavily in your retirement account only to realize that the retirement fund for the entity you worked all those years for was absolutely bankrupt. But that's what you put your stock in. That's why I tell you, put your faith in things eternal. Hold to his unchanging hand. Once the amount has been arrived at, then you have to actually give it, but only give it in a consecrated manner. And then I love this, and you all too as well, not grudgingly, nor of necessity. Not because somebody compelled you to do it or or, 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 or made you do it. You and I both know the time. Maybe you don't, maybe it's just me. I remember when my mama used to give me a, a quarter when I'd go to church. And she tell me, now you put this in church when you get there, but do you know how much bubble gum you can buy for a quarter? Do you know how much then you can get a whole pocketful of bubble gum for a quarter? And you mean I'm going to put the whole quarter in there? Can't I just get two dimes and a nickel and put 10 cents in and keep the other 15 cents? At that point in time, I was making choices for myself. Early on, I learned the value of what money could do, and I decided at that point, it was better for that money to do more for me than I was willing to do for the Lord. Why? Because I didn't appreciate the power that I had with that with that quarter. Mama watched me till I put that money in that plate. And sometimes she'd take it and tie it in a little handkerchief. So I wouldn't lose it, because you know, a quarter in the pocket of a little boy is a hard thing to keep up with. And I also remember that woman sold ice cream at the church. It's an interesting thing, let me tell you how good God is. Mama watched me when she gave me that quarter and she paid attention to me to make sure that when that plate came around, I fished down in my pocket and I pulled her handkerchief out and she watched me as I took that little knot out, hard with a little bit of hand to pull that knot out. And Sometimes I had to get somebody to help me pull that knot out and she watched as they gave me that quarter and she watched me as I put that quarter in the plate, and then she smiled at me, and it's an amazing thing, because she was pleased with me. She took me by the hand out the church, and she walked me to the ice cream lady. And mama paid the money for me to get the ice cream cone. Now, if you weren't watching, there's obedience that comes, and the blessing that comes with that obedience. Yeah, I always thought it had to be up to my quarter to get my ice cream cone after church. Mama taught me that if I'm obedient with God's money, then it doesn't matter where the blessing flows, God can still give you a blessing. And that ice cream was just as sweet coming from mama's money as it would have been coming from my own. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. From that point forward, I understood what it meant to be able to give and be happy to give because even though I didn't get an ice cream cone after every church service, I was still blessed after that because God loves a cheerful giver. And so I've learned that stewardship, my friends, is an expression of my heart health and not my wealth. And then lastly, stewardship, is also an expression of my confidence. Oh yeah. And God is able to make all grace abound unto you. I wouldn't be standing here right now in the condition that I'm in if it hadn't been for grace. No, 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 no. There wasn't grace that I could have ever designed or detected. God can make all grace abound unto you, all grace. There have been some times in my life when I literally didn't know where the next was coming from. And I'm so glad that at that time I had relationship enough with the Lord for him to bless me. I'm so glad that I didn't have to figure every part of it out. What grace is Paul talking about here? If you look back at 2 Corinthians 8 and 1, Paul wrote, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches at Macedonia. See, that was a poor church. They didn't have have anything to give. They didn't have anything to share materially, and yet God allowed supernatural blessings to fall on that church congregation so that, according to Paul, they were able to give more According to their liberality, which means according to their heart desires, God blessed them, even though they didn't have a whole lot to give. Can I tell you, there have been times I've been able to bless somebody and don't even know how I did it. Why? Because I had a desire to help them, and God blessed me with something in my hand to bless them with. It ain't always got to be money that you bless folk with, but God can even do that for you. Look, look, there's a book entitled, uh, that was written by Jack Taylor entitled, God's Miraculous Plan of Economy. All right, that sounds real thrilling, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. But, but anyway, he devotes a whole chapter to God's cycle of sufficiency. Yeah, God's cycle of sufficiency. He has a wonderful outline that I put up for you on on this verse. It talks about the might of God, the might of God, when he talks about God's ability. When he talks about the measure of God, when he talks about all grace can abound to you. And he says the manner of God. I love this because the the, the manner of God's grace is that it's abounding. And then I love it. I love it when we think about why is God doing this? This verse shows us the motive of God. And it's towards us. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants to bless you. The might of God, the measure of God, the manner of God, the motive of God, the means of God is always in this one place. That means he's always having all sufficiency in all things. It means he gives us our adequacy. Whatever we need, God is blessing us. And then it shows us The ministry of God. All in one verse we see the might, the measure, the manner, the motive, the means, and the ministry. And what's the ministry? He gives us all these things so that we have enough but also that we have enough to share with somebody else. That's the ministry of God. Don't ever think that you don't have enough to bless somebody with because our God is able to supply you with everything you need if you show up with the right attitude and allow him to bless you. There's this wonderful real-life illustration found in 2 Kings chapter 4. People don't think they can get real-life illustrations of the Old Testament that affects them today. Can I tell you, you better read that Old Testament and see what those folk went through, because some of you might be going through the same problem right now. It seems this old woman was destitute. She was out of everything. The reason she was is she was a prophet's widow, and everybody knows that the prophets didn't make no money. No, 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 no. They depended on the blessings of the community. And she was, according to these seven, seven verses, a prophet's widow who was bankrupt. The creditors had come in on her, and she was about to have to sell her two sons' destiny as slaves in order to take care of the finances owed. At that time, they had debtors' prison. If you owe somebody something, they could take you and lock you up and keep you as long as they needed to until the debt was satisfied. The prophet Elisha came along before the bankruptcy judge could pronounce judgment, and he asked her, do you have anything of value? And she said, all I have is a vessel of oil. It was probably the little vessel of anointing oil that Elisha had had. They had probably saved it as a memento from the day he was consecrated as a priest. And they wouldn't sell it because it had personal meaning to her. But the only thing of value she had in her house was a little old container of oil. And the prophet Elisha, Alvin, told her to take her vessel of oil. And he told her to go to all her neighbors. It's a good thing to have a relationship with your neighbors. Go to all your neighbors and ask your neighbors to let you have any vessel, any container they have. Go to every neighbor you can. And this woman went and she got bowls and plates and little containers from every neighbor in the community. And Elijah said, stack them all in your house. And he said, don't borrow just a few now. Get everyone you can, hit everybody in the neighborhood. And she filled her house with all these vessels. And then the prophet told her to take that little vessel of oil that they had been saving since that fabulous day her husband was consecrated and to start pouring it in the containers. And the Bible says that she poured and she poured. And the prophet supernaturally asked the Lord to bless her hand. And do you know that that woman didn't stop pouring that little container of oil until every container in her house was overflowing with oil? Because God can do abundantly more than you can ask or think. And then he said this, watch this, I want you to watch me now, watch watch this now. After she received the information from the prophet, he gave her the inspiration to go and to do the work that Jesus Christ, I mean, and do the work that God wanted her to do. And then he gave her some industry. This is the problem. Some folk don't want no industry. It's called work Some folk don't want to do it. She had to go and involve herself in industry, and that industry was gathering all them vessels. Once she got the information caused by the inspiration from the prophet, she engaged in the industry. She followed his instructions to a T, and those instructions led to an overflowing product which led to an investment in her life. Watch this now. She was able to take all the oil that had been poured out and to sell all the oil. And she had, watch this now, he, she had enough to take care of her house, she had enough to pay all her debts, and she had enough to do this, leave an inheritance to her son because God blessed her. If you follow the information given by God's man, If he gives you the inspiration on how to lay a good foundation for handling your finances and you're not afraid to involve yourself in some industry, follow the instructions given to a T, then you'll find yourself with an investment material on your hand and it'll lead you to having the ability to make an inheritance for you and for your family. Stewardship then becomes an expression of your contentment. In other words, I trust you, Lord. When I give, I trust. When I give, I'm not dependent on myself. When I give, I'm blessing your name and I'm allowing you to do whatever needs to be done. Do you see how it flows? That God continues to bless folk. What begins with a choice and that's carried out in cheerfulness becomes our completion and results in us being genuinely contented to serve the Lord. Some of y'all think you can't do a lot because you got a little in life. Don't you know it's not meant for everybody to be rich? Don't you know it's not meant for everybody to walk around and be Mr. or Miss Moneybag, but that doesn't mean you can't be a cheerful giver. That doesn't mean you can't be blessed. The story is told of a preacher who started a capital campaign at his church. He called everybody in, Red, and he said, next Sunday is going to be Giving Sunday. Make sure you come prepared to bless the house with what God has given you. But there was one woman there who was so faithful. She never missed an opportunity to come to every activity at the church. She participated in everything that they had. She would be considered today a devoted member of the church, but she was also their poor. She simply did not have anything materially. And so giving day came, and she came in and was downcast. And they started passing the plate to collect the contributions. And she sat there looking downcast. And the pastor came to her and said to her, uh, My friend, what's wrong? And she said, Pastor, I don't have anything, anything at all to give. And he said, he said, I'm sure you're not. You're not right on that. He said, but whatever it is, just give anything you got. And so she took her purse and she ran her hand down at the bottom of the purse and she pulled all the coins out that she had. And she put the coins in an envelope and signed it, all I have to give. And she put it in to the collection plate. Well, later that evening, it was time for all the church to come together and see the results of the the capital campaign. They were excited because rumor had it they had exceeded expectation and the capital campaign was going to be a success. The pastor stood, uh, stood up and came to the front of the church and he pulled one envelope out of the tray. And he said, I came to tell you today about the most generous gift we received. Seems that that woman had put $3.23 worth of change in her envelope. And the pastor said, this envelope contains the most generous gift that any of our members could give. And the people sat there amazed because some of them knew they had written some big checks. They knew that they should get the credit for having written everything. And he said to them, the reason is this woman gave all, had to support the cause. And it's $3.23. Well, they were taken aback because suddenly they were faced with having given in their abundance and still they haven't given in sacrifice. So one of the men stood up and said, Pastor, that's the most generous gift I've ever seen anybody give. I'd like to buy one of those coins in that envelope for $10. And before long, other folk were standing up saying, I want to buy two of them for $20. And before long, folk were writing new checks because they were so inspired by the woman who had nothing to give. Can I tell you, she gave the gift a sacrifice. And when you give the gift of sacrifice, God will come along and bless you. How do I know that? Because God knows a thing or two about giving. Oh, he knows how to give. He didn't look around for spare change in heaven. He gave the greatest jewel he had. He gave his only begotten son. And because he gave his only begotten son, you and I have a right to the same kind of living that his son had, a right to eternal living. My question today is, do you know that Jesus? Do you know the gift that God gave us? He blessed us with the greatest sacrifice he could possibly give, his only begotten son. Have you given cheerfully? Have you given not grudgingly? And have you given from sacrifice? God gave us the standard. He expects nothing less from us. He loved us enough to bless us. Do the same.